This is the 100th episode of Stockholm Legacy Report, a podcast about paper legacy. My name is Victor Bernus, with me are my dear co-hosts Robin Svensson and Christopher Wikström. Warm welcome to you, dear listener. Hello everybody, and great to be here at your place. Yeah, hello everybody, and we're actually recording for the first time in person. But yeah, glad to have you here. Stockholm Legacy Report can be found whenever we release on the Top Tech app. In this episode, we are, as you just heard, celebrating a milestone on this here podcast. 100 episodes. We really are quite proud. And for this event, we are gathering for a special first ever live recording. We have set up shop in my apartment, in my newly established game room to talk about Paper Legacy. After a brief rundown of our latest Paper Play, we will talk about the state of Paper Legacy and about pay podcasting in general. Regular programming, including the basic line concert panel, will be back for episode 101. So Robin, you and I went to the local game store the other night. How did that go? For me, I went 2-2. I brought uh, Punishing DAC, uh, which is the deck that I've been playing uh, the last couple of weeks. I have two 2-2s to talk about uh, briefly. I actually should say that I am in the process of building this deck, so it's not really finished, and uh, I've been playing some suboptimal cards in the place of the, the correct cards, but I've been having a really good time, of course. So last Thursday, I was up against the first game against Cradle Control. He started out with the Grist, I kept up sort of with the Punishing Fire, but then he resolves Natural Order for Atraxa. I managed to find the Ottawara to bounce it, but he has already gained too much card advantage from the come into play effect, and he wins. And in the second game, I managed to sort of bait him to spill his hand and go for a deed. And from there on, I think that I'm in a good order, but he plays a natural order and I have to fob it and then he slams artisan after artisan and his graveyard is stacked from the deed <laughs> so he actually wins with a beatdown from like 6-6 six, six and 7-7s seven, so quick 2-0 with from cradle control then I'm up against the Jeskai control with the fourth Orlingas that's the Jeskai Rohirrim deck as I call it first game he has a Teferi and all my interaction is sort of like completely hindered by that Teferi and uh, eventually he plays a Orlingas and I have nothing to do about that and in game 2 he surgicals my Uro and uh, yeah I don't play many Vincons. Match 3 is uh, against Jeskai's Saga, Jeskai's Staff, so to say. In game 1, awesome is really awesome. Dak is really awesome and steals his constructs. I managed to flash in Hullbreacher in response to a brainstorm, which makes the constructs bigger. Oh man, <laughs> the synergies. <laughs> the synergies in this deck is fantastic. Absolutely wild. In game 2, he plays a Saga and a Standstill, and I deed away everything. Uh, he draws three cards, of course, but loses all of the tempo uh, created with the Saga. He also picked up a Needle, naming Dak. And he had played a fresh Saga that also gets uh, drawn into the deed. And then Dak starts digging, and the Bowmaster comes down, and I win from there on. And in the final match, I'm up against a blue and red budget counterburn deck, which has really problematic time trying to deal with an resolved Uro that gains life and just beats for six. And I actually managed to ult Dak in the second game. Wow, that's a first. Never got to steal anything because the ultimation was met with a concession, of course. Of course. And then on this Thursday, some quick rundown of the games. I was up against Reanimator. He mulls a lot in the first game. He has a slow start and I managed to assemble the nice little combination of Liquid Metal Torque and Dak. 
and that is sort of a lock. We realized later that it's not a hard lock because Archon actually can make you sacrifice a planeswalker as well. I would have needed a creature to protect the deck, but he scoops to that lock. And in game two, he draws seven with Gristlebrand and I flash in a Hullbreacher (laughs) and uh, I win there. Attracts, I wouldn't have gone into that. Oh, 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 the burn. (laughs) In the second game, I'm up against Abs and Depths, uh, which is, uh, of course, a deck that I'm very familiar with. And uh, this game is so grindy. It takes like... 40 minutes or something like that. Wow. I stop a lot of Merit Lage attempts uh, with Assassin's Trophy on <laughs> Dark Depths. So nasty. Yeah, and also an Ottawa that bounces uh, Merit Lage, but the, the final Merit Lage goes all the way. And then I win against Oops All Spells. Sorry, I lose against Oops All Spells. Uh, we played a lot of games after, which felt really good, but the, the the games the that ones mattered. that mattered yeah they were super bad actually he he moves to five and have a turn one with protection against my fob then i have like veil fob and a double dress down but they never get to two mana to use the dress downs and he has protection for both the veil and the fob or i should say that like i fob his creature and he doesn't like counter back instead he has to reanimate to put it back in and then the veil doesn't do anything so that was hard and then i managed to climb back and win the final game i can't remember that one (laughs) wasn't it delver yeah right yeah Yeah, right yeah it was a nice game against delver where i got the punishing fire going and uh, just like all the removal in the deck is so clutch there so uh, very medium results but a real good time with punishing deck for me and you are thinking of keeping this as your one of your decks for this season, I guess, right? Yeah, the last season was Naya Depths, of course. I don't think Naya Depths is as well positioned. And I'm going to try this out to play some really grindy games and learn how to maneuver Deck Faden. A lot of people has uh, start, started going towards Abs and Depths. Yeah. Is that the direction that you feel might come up for you in the future or...? I think it might be the correct way to go with that deck, but then it's really not. This, it's more like the old Turbo Depths deck, where you protect Merit Lage with the Thoughtseize and not the grinding power of Naya Depths. So I'm not sure if I'm interested in that playstyle. And we'll see also if uh, Turbo Depths gets what some people think they might be getting in the Legolas card. That might spark <laughs> some interest from my part because like that card is insane with knight of reliquary for instance like mm-hmm. you can protect it fetch a land and in the same time deal seven damage to a creature or something like that it's stupid good stupid good but uh victor you have also been to the lgs i was there was there i also played a 2-2 evening with my black red reanimator i chose to put one copy of Atraxa this time Never saw it on in the sideboard field. or in the main in the main deck and moved the uh, Ceres emissary to the sideboard for this tournament. So in the first match, I'm up against Cephalid Breakfast, and in game one, we end up in a sort of top deck situation. I pretty much discard all of their hands, but I have I grief on the battlefield and not much else. And their deck, top decks, better than my deck. So eventually they get there. But it's a bit of a bit of a grind for both of us just finding things. And in the second game, I keep a seven, which has both heavy discard and early reanimation. But they keep a hand in which they <laughs> they have five 
force wheel effects <laughs> in the seven cards whoa <laughs> I, I think they have four and draw another one or something it's just they had all the counter spells all day long mm. and then they i mean they top deck the land they need to, to play out the combo but i mean the deck has lands in it so i'm not gonna sort of complain about that but it was a bit brutal i, I go for like turn one sort of discard and i'm like okay um <laughs> <laughs> It's going to be a bit of an uphill battle. And it was. So 0-2 there. In round two, I'm off playing against the Grixis Delver play that you faced off in your final round. And it is three pretty grindy games that I end up winning in 2-1 in the end. Arkham of Cruelty really does do a lot of work in that matchup. The Lord's work. The Lord's or... <laughs> which Lord? <laughs> the Lord of the Seven Hells. In the final game, I'm off to a pretty slow start. They mulligan quite hard, so I'm sure that I have some time. And this time I'm sorely needing because my draws are horrible from, from after my seven. I think it's not before like turn five or something that I get the Archon down finally. But then it just cleans house. In the end, they have a Merc Tide that I slam into with the Archon because they sacrifice another creature. But then, of course, I can just reanimate the, the Archon again. It's so brutal. Because you gain the life back even when you swing. So it, it ups your chances of using reanimate specifically, which is usually pretty luckless in late game. But again, with Archon, it's just... So I, I win that 2-1. Yeah, it's such a good card. That addition is so strong to reanimate. In the third game, in the third match, I am up against an opponent who goes turn one, plateau, go. Mm. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> coast should be clear. <laughs> <laughs> Land or crit challenge to Maxume, draw 14, they scoop. <laughs> Man. <laughs> it could be a Jeskai deck. It could be a Jeskai deck, but turn one, plateau, it's like, nah, I don't think so. <laughs> Worth aiming for i think i'm willing to six or five as well i kept one seven uh, during the whole evening which was against in the first uh, match against the separate breakfast player and i lost to five counter spells so you know game game two they get their seasoned dungeoneer going really quickly and that's oh now i see what's up that's a fast creature yeah this is red white initiative good clock it is a really good clock and i managed to stabilize somewhat but then they also play the barbarian and it's just too much for me because they also advance so far in the dungeon you take five damage all of a sudden it's just the clock is really really quick on that one so in game three they go ley line the second game ley line as well so third game ley line and i go swamp grief you reanimate your seasoned dungeoneer that's that's (laughs) game ladies and gentlemen and they're like oh wow yeah that's tough and after the game they're like yeah uh, that turn one season I knew that's so hard to beat (laughs) (laughs) that's why that's why you try to play that's why White Plume Adventure got banned (laughs) yeah because I didn't really play any magic during the White Plume Adventure sort of time when it was up yeah and I I can just imagine like (laughs) these games are so lopsided yeah Yeah. I, I, I do not miss I think like four mana that's the right amount to get the initiative effect, which mm. I still think, like, I don't love it. But whenever, you know, uh, we had to play against uh, White Plume Adventure and it was like, turn one, White Plume, force that. Turn two, uh, Season Dungeoneer or whatever. And you're, you're already so behind on resources and then this thing resolves and it's terrible. But, I mean, uh, they got a taste of their own medicine. You got a <laughs> really nice fast clock down you got to fetch yourself another basic i mean life's good and like when you go into the throne with uh, <laughs> <laughs> with initiative that's super cool in that deck of course so final game i'm off against the oops player that yeah. you played in your uh, first match and game one 
they mulligan to I think four, I mulligan to five, and I quickly discard their hands, and then I have like, but I don't have much of a clock either. I have like a grief. After a while, I have two griefs, but the time it takes me to beat them down, they manage to find all of their pieces, sort of one by one, off the top. <laughs> No, no cantrips and uh, take it down with their, their on a two life and just sort of I am really ready for the swing back there. Game two, just really quick Grizzly Brand stuff going on. They have nothing to show for. I really I mean, this, this playing a ten discard deck. Yeah, it's pretty good. Really good against oops all spells. But in the third game, I keep a seven with heavy discard and Iona because I'm thinking well if they can't play black, you know I should be safe. But they go turn one and I, I have nothing. I have like one fairy macabre in the sideboard, but that's it. So, oh, one, two in oops. And oops, I think is like, if I lose the die roll, which I did in the first game, it's a hard matchup for this deck, yeah. for sure. So uh, two and two, first non three, one in a while. But what I found interesting was that after the tournament first, I was like, oh, so many grindy games. And I was like, actually, no, they weren't that grindy. They just took a really long time to play. <laughs> <laughs> it was not so many turns, perhaps. No, but like the days of sort of... 10-minute matches off to early lunch break for reanimators seems to not be happening right now. I mean, having most of my matches go for quite some time right now. I can't really sort of... I've been trying to... It's not just my mulligans either. It's just that it takes time for some reason. Yeah, the interaction has gotten stronger. Uh, there's much more to play around. So I guess that as a reanimate player, you have to be more careful also. You can't just jam-jam. Uh, against an endurance deck that you've seen nasty things come out of so like even if the games are only like two or three turns there are so many more decisions from both sides now uh, than previously when it was here's a turn one reanimation and i know that pre-board you have nothing but it's uh, super cool i mean your results have been pretty nice recently yeah i'm probably gonna keep this going until the swedish legacy masters After 99 episodes of this, I am starting to think that there are actually points to what we say sometimes. And therefore, we will now take the opportunity to look back. I mean, since we started doing these podcasts, put our wizard's hat on the table, fill the cups of coffee that we have in front of us, and talk about the state of Paper Legacy. Robin, where would you say that we are at currently with Paper Legacy? First of all, we're like in the first short time after a quite large shakeup, I should say. There's been plenty of cards printed recently that have impacted, and also unbanned, I should say, <laughs> that have imp- impacted Legacy quite a lot. And like we also see cards in the pipe that is going to affect Legacy from the spoilers. So I think that the state of Legacy right now is a little bit in flux and not really settled yet even though of course there are some decks that are most people agree on is the is the like the, the tier one decks i still think like the tier two tier three decks are to be shaken out having played legacy for the last couple of years that has become more and more of what legacy is i think since there's been more like powerful printings and more powerful cards being added to the format the format has evolved 
quicker and quicker. So we've been a little bit used to having new toys like all the time and not settling into a meta that is very stale and that like needs a shakeup. Like that feeling when you feel like the need the meta need a shakeup or a ban. I haven't felt that for quite a while. So, but it, it's very enjoyable. I should say that's my my take. Maybe not for the wallet. But <laughs> when you are at the LGS and play, it's, it's really fun. But a lot of new cards to keep up with. I agree with that. And uh, I think Paper Play is in a really good place. Just player positivism. I think, especially when I was in Bologna, there were so many people just happy to play Paper Legacy. There are so many ways to play this game. And I mean, we choose Legacy and uh, Legacy as been through a lot of paradigms recently but i think that there's a positivism both i mean sure wizards may may not support it but they made a a giant change recently by unbanning a card which for me also is a very positive thing to see that they want to you know make legacy into something special allow more things to happen and i mostly agree on on most bands that happen yeah. and i think a lot of people do too so i i think the crowd is very positive overall uh, with the format and i just think it's been been very fun i think the meta now is great there are you know some decks there are always going to be decks that are you know above the other ones a bit in power level but that's also the beauty of of legacy like there will always be a tier 2 tier 3 deck that will just have like the sickest matchup against one of the tier 1 decks mm. going into big tournaments they're always going to be the tier 1 players there's this talk about you know you need to get through the first rounds to mm. beat the jank mm. and that's because legacy has that it has those tier 2 free decks that just can are specifically good against what the top decks want to do mm. And uh, I think it's uh, what makes Legacy really special. And I think that's why it hooks so many people in. keeps keeps them hungry to go to an LGS or big tournaments and just play whatever deck they want, top tier or their own darling. So I really appreciate where Legacy is at now. And I think after experiencing a lot of paper positivism in Bologna, I think that's a consensus amongst many players. They're just happy to play the cards. You know, they get new toys every now and then, and some of them are really good. Yeah, I think also that, I mean, comparative to when we started this podcast, and for the record, we've been recording since uh, May in 2021, a lot fewer people are upset about sort of more new printings. I mean, people have sort of, I don't know why, but I guess people sort of grew sick of complaining about the new way wizards are doing things and have sort of just embraced that. So, okay, we're going to get new printed cards. They're going to be legacy playable. All right, then. And I mean, as you said, it's going to be tough on the wallet perhaps sometimes, but no one is complaining about the game as such. Mm. I think it's rather a situation where, as you also, I think, alluded to, Christopher, that people are seeing how the cards printed can strengthen and reinforce and sometimes also reinvent certain archetypes. I mean, it's been a while since Tassus Oracle was printed, but I mean, look at what a card like that does to really old archetypes. They're suddenly really playable again. Mono Black Helm was a bit of a meme tier 2.5 deck up until very recently, and it got one card printed and it won the European Legacy Masters. I mean, it used to be one of those decks that you don't want to run into the first two rounds if you play Reanimator, per, I mean, for example, because I'm going to get super crushed and that deck would never survive to a top eight and all of a sudden you get this one card that sort of doesn't break the bones of the format but just makes another deck really viable sure 
there are some decks that are going to be less viable. I mean, not too many people are playing classic elves right now, but they are playing Cradle Control instead and seems to be enjoying themselves. So I'm also very happy about the state of, uh, of Legacy in general. If you look at the state of Paper Legacy, I think also your experience in Bologna, but also what I see what people are doing in the US, people are really trying to make like Paper Legacy work. And I think Sweden is a bit of an exception also that sort of proxy tournaments are super non-existent here yeah and i think it's tied to that virtually every tournament organizer is also affiliated for that reason don't feel that they can put on proxy tournaments but elsewhere in europe and in the us it's just a growing thing which i think is also really good for legacy i mean we'll see now it's almost a year now since wizards made all these ridiculous mega expensive reprints into non-legal cards the 30th anniversary proxy set <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah was... i mean we, we haven't seen anything like that since it's been very quiet it seems like it actually was a bit of a backlash for wizards mm. that they did that but at least sort of that bucket was perhaps not fully open but you can sort of we open the hatch a little bit to sort of glance into what can be done here can we do things like that it might not be now because of that that happened and then since the world economy has taken that sort of shift in the wrong direction for luxury hobby perhaps but i think there might be things i, I want to be hopeful like things could happen that end that could actually sometime down the line benefit paper legacy i think it's been going up for quite some time paper legacy but it's gonna keep going up i mean i'm i'm long paper legacy in economic terms yeah i mean i mean also there's been so much talk about like legacy is a dying format and all of that but when you look at our lgs it's a constant stream of new players entering the meta which is fantastic i think maybe like the printing policy from wizards has something to do with it because like playing modern is is quite expensive if because you're playing like the same cards the new printings are the same for modern as for legacy and the decks are much more similar now than they were a couple of years ago of course there's the like the big threshold of course of getting the dual lands and all of that but if you are already used to spending a lot of mana on cardboard i think like that threshold feels a lot like psychologically lower since you also know that the duels have retained their value over time very good and then there are of course uh, entry points in legacy which are much cheaper like shadow is is a great entry point into legacy because you can play your uh, water graves and just need force of wills to be somewhat competitive and it's almost a modern deck so that is also super nice to have like a little bit of more younger players coming in with different playstyle mindset that's really fun to see and good for the longevity of the format of course just imagine if uh, the uh, 13th 30th 13th anniversary boosters would have been you know three dollars a pack and yeah. it would have been yeah. just you know these aren't tournament legal but you know a lot of legacy tournaments are proxy friendly elm was proxy allowed mm. <laughs> and just imagine how many more that would have ordered a lot of those just to you know first draft this format that they never maybe were around to play in the first place and then also know that these are some high quality proxies that i can use later for tournament play mm. would have been a slam dunk but yeah i definitely agree and i also think that the uh, legacy format 
like the community is very open to new players and ideas and you know at our LGS it's uh, very common for people to borrow cards or hold decks and yeah. anything to you know just get new players in there and I think that's one of the reasons we are seeing so many new players mm. that are either coming from modern or commander and I, I love it I think it's great a lot of those people have seen card interactions that are unknown to me mm. and when they bring that to legacy that's where we are seeing innovation as well yeah. which I really appreciate mm. Another thing with doing 99 episodes, well, 99 and a half uh, at this point, is that this medium, this sort of regular activity of ours to interact with our legacy playing in a content-driven way, what is that sort of that does that for us? For you guys, does content creation impact how you play the game? Robin, what say you? Well, I will not say that I like bring more spies or like bring more weird things to have something special to talk about. <laughs> I don't do that, but I think that after each tournament or each like Thursday night at the LGS, you will want to talk about what happened so you have to sort of make some sort of notes after and you will start keeping track of your results in a certain way so i think that it has started like a mental heuristic or like something that you start doing that i did not do before which i think has made me more like aware of what i do and how things turn out and uh, all of that so i I think that i have i'm a little bit more analytical of my own play i just like before i think i'm more just playing and then forgot about what happened and I think I like cared the mistakes and uh, and learn from them because I need to remember what happened and talk about it at the podcast and of course like it has uh, strengthened the love for the game to to have this sort of environment to talk about legacy and uh, cardboard and winning and losing and tournament prep and tournament travel and all of that that is a part of playing legacy yeah and uh, one of the things you talked about is one of the biggest changes for me and that's when it comes to uh, thinking about critical moments and identifying critical moments in your games and what decision you made and what the outcome was Mm. that's one of the i mean i used to do that a lot prior to podcast but it's gone a bit more deeper because also when you talk about those situations you realize that maybe it was even more nuanced Mm. than you thought when you were playing it or afterwards when you're writing down your you know your notes to you know what do i want to talk about on the podcast you might realize things as lines that you could have taken or like understand that maybe you subconsciously played around something and that makes great talking points and the more conscious you get about these decisions i think it also improves your paper play long term a lot of bad beat stories are fine but if your bad beat stories contained in yourself leads to you understanding what you can do differently that's very good and talking about the games and you know tournaments and also just philosophy prior to a tournament to then see how wrong or right you were about certain things all those 
account to something for you as a player. So I definitely think, you know, thinking about how I approach the game and how I see the game has changed a lot these two years. Yeah, one big change for me is that now I have someone to talk to about legacy, except from the underground home back from sort of a local Thursday night play. Now I know that I will have a conversation about these games the next time we record. Or if I do not show up, because I've had lots of sort of, I have difficulties coming around Thursdays previously, I have better chances currently. But it also gives me an opportunity to tap into what's mm. going on in our local paper legacy scene. So for me personally, that's been super valuable because we just need to have that structured discussion because we need to record and then we need to decide a time every week or every other week when we meet up and oh, it's going to be then, it's going to be, this is the schedule, this is the topics for tonight. And that's been super valuable to me. I mean, for all the reasons you guys mentioned obviously has made me a better player as well it also i i love i love being and i mean i've been harping on about this before i mean regular listeners will know but i love to be able to give something back and partake in the construction of a structured community for this format of magic because as we always keep on repeating it's not a format wizards are interested in supporting for you know i think valid reasons we we can't expect them to sort of do this we're going to have to do that ourselves and that means that many of us are going to have to create situations create content create community And this is a way for us to create community. And we have listeners in the US, in Germany. We have our odd listeners, you know, in the Philippines. Hi, man. Shout out to (laughs) Portugal. (laughs) And and that's wonderful. And and, I mean, when you were in in Bologna, Christopher, and people coming, you know, recognizing you, coming up, talking to you, that's just fabulous. And it feels like, well, we're actually doing something. And I mean, this is never going to be a podcast with 20,000 listeners that we're going to monetize and sort of, you know, make our semi-full-time jobs. But that's not the point of doing this the point is rather to reach out to these people that are actually specifically interested in paper legacy like these are the people that we do this for and i love that type of narrow value creation and it feels really good to be able to be part of that and you know i now when you go to the lgs some people are like oh you're two from the podcast now where's the third one i love that it continue for at least another 100 episodes yeah and like one thing that is important for me is like the social side of this like with you two guys of course and i think that that was even more important during the covid era For sure. because that's like period of one's social life was horrendous <laughs> like and uh, and playing uh, i played some uh, some magic over webcam back then yeah, and we had our, reported <laughs> we had our very uh, funky <laughs> discord uh, <laughs> series it was sort of a league but no one really kept track of anything <laughs> we just wanted to sling cards yeah but like like having that scheduled discussion keeping in touch talking with other people that share an interest with you and that was super in, important during that era and also our discord channel where we like were preparing for the episodes but also like talking shit and uh, talking magic and everything that was uh, very important for that era yeah i mean just thinking that we actually started this during covid is also crazy we were gonna start it prior to covid but you know life (laughs) being able to have that sort of escapism to talk talk to you know friendly people about a very shared love for a game really made covid better everyone was just itching to get out of houses and play paper and for a lot of people listening maybe hearing about 
what basic lands to choose for their decks or uh, you know a, the brewer's apothecary that we had for a while maybe made people more hungry and anticipating you know getting to the LGS even more so I, I really think that we found some very nice talking points and I look forward to more episodes and more shitty art takes in the next episode <laughs> I have yeah. picked two horrendous lands that you'll all hear about well we look forward to that and that my friends is the end for this celebratory very special in-person gaming room at victor's recording of stockholm legacy report if you would like to ship in on this discussion the state of paper legacy or simply want to say something else to us please come do so in our discord there's a link in the episode description in addition to discord you can find us all on x at stockholm legacy and personally on x where can we find you robin you can find me i am jacka underscore boo and you can find me at monolith mtg i am under disco drogo and that is the end of the 100th episode of stockholm legacy <laughs> report thank you robin Sensen and christopher Dijkstrom. i am victor bernhardt's special thanks to you for listening super loud shout out to those who have been with us since the beginning thank you so much we'll see you all next thursday at the lgs the great and mysterious frenes has written her music as usual you can find more of their work on spotify until our next episode do eat cake